Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, then Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, O God, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you have allowed us to hear your word, not only hear it, to know who you are and to be in relationship with you. So, Lord, we just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So I just want to start us off the way Pastor Joe starts us off by giving us some context, context, yes, uh, of the passage. And so um, the book of Hebrews tells us who Jesus is and what he has come, what he, is, what he came to do for us. Uh, we don't know the author of the book of Hebrews, but we know the audience. This was written to Jewish believers Jewish believers living in a pluralistic society where there were many different religions and philosophies. And Christian faith brought forth marginalization and hostility. And so these Jewish believers, they were facing persecution and suffering for their faith in God. And they were facing a predicament. And this predicament was, if God was so committed to their glory, if God is so committed to their joy, if God loves them so much, why was their life so hard? The Hebrew writer tells us that life is a journey. Life is a journey from weariness to rest. Life is a journey from isolation into the presence of God from alienation into the city of God. And the only way we can get there, the Hebrew writer tells us, is to fix our eyes on Jesus. 
it's through this long-term sustaining way. So the writer's telling us it's like a marathon. It's not a 100-meter dash. And I think we can all relate with this, this question, this predicament. If God is so committed to our glory, if God is so committed to our joy, why is this life so hard? Especially in these last two years that we've been through in this pandemic, right? We've realized how life, how fragile life is and how we are not in control. And on top of that, all the other things that we have to navigate through, you know, through what we go through, um, the navig- all the other things we go through in this life. And so I want to ask three questions through our passage today. Number one, what he brings. Number two, why he brings it. Number three, how can it change our lives? So let's look at the first question today. What he brings. In verses 1 and 2, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, there's something wonderful about this and something hard about it. The wonderful thing is that God wants to communicate with us. God is not just giving us bits of information, but he wants us to know who he is. He wants us to be in relationship with us. God is not some high, lofty, force-field God who is just out of reach, but he's a personal God who wants us to know him, and he wants us, uh, he, uh, he wants us to know him personally. Just like a parent communicates to a child, it's out of affection. It's out of love so that the relationship can go deeper. But there's also something very hard about these two verses. The hard thing is that the writer is saying Jesus is the final word. There is no ifs, ands, buts about it. This is the way it is, and that's that. Notice the contrast it says in verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What are the last days? The last days are the entire period from when the the writer was writing to the end of time. So he's saying now until the end of time, there is no more fuller expression of who God is than in Jesus. And notice another contrast. It says here that God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. In verse 2, he has spoken to us now in one way. Now, the word various ways, it, it's a word that means in pieces. Polutropos. It means in piecemeal ways. You see, everything written in the Old Testament was in some way, some form, connected to Jesus. Everything written in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of what was to come. For example, we read, remember Friday night, Isaiah chapter chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. 
And that's why the Hebrew writer, he's always referring back to the Hebrew scriptures. Because all the verses in the Old Testament was pointing to one thing. And that one thing is the person Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of God's word, of God speaking to his people in the Old Testament. It's like a puzzle, right? Jesus is the most important puzzle piece. And God was giving all these puzzle pieces in the Old Testament. And now when Jesus arrived, the most important piece has come that connects all the pieces together. And what does that puzzle look like? Is Jesus. Jesus is the puzzle. So the answer to the first question is, what he brings? God brings us Jesus. God brings us the final word through his son, Jesus. And that leads us to our next question. Why he brings it? Let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? Today it's not shining very brightly. It's still shining. We just can't see it because it's a cloudy day. But have you ever looked at the sun for a long time? It will, it will literally destroy your eyes. We can't look at it for a long time. It will burn our eyes out. The sun's radiance is so bright, it's so powerful that we cannot look at it directly for a long time. And when we look in reference to the Old Testament, when we think of the word radiance, we think of God's glory, right? We, we're reminded of the glory cloud. The fiery cloud. You remember when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and then they were in the wilderness? What was leading them? What was guiding them? This fiery cloud that kind of looked like a figure during the day and then at night it was a pillar of fire that was leading them. That was God's glory. That was God revealing himself, leading his people. This is the same glory cloud in Exodus, right? on Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, there was a dense cloud that came upon the cloud, uh, the mountain. And, the, and, um, and God told Moses that the Israelites were not to approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death, would die, because this glory cloud is so radiant, it's so holy, it's so powerful that no one could approach it. God reveals himself in this form of this fiery cloud. And we see this radiance also in the burning bush when God reveals himself to Moses. And the Hebrew writer, he knows the Jewish people know this because this is what they've been, they were brought up with, the Hebrew scriptures. They know it like the back of their hand. They see the connection when Hebrew writer says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory because they remember that radiance in the Old Testament. And God has revealed himself now, the writer is saying, but in these last days, I reveal myself in various ways in the Old Testament. Now I reveal myself ultimately in one way. 
And that's through his son, Jesus, the most powerful form in human form. Jesus is the glory of God, the awesomeness of God, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Emmanuel, God with us, is found in Jesus. And now through Jesus, we're allowed to approach God's glory without literally dropping dead. People drop dead if they went into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest can go once a year. But now God has allowed us to approach him anytime, anywhere, in any situation. God has ultimately revealed himself through his son. Jesus is the complete form of God. The absolute truth. In other words, Jesus is the God of truth. And that's why we can bring it, or that's why he can bring it, because Jesus is God. Do you remember when Jesus forgives the paralytic man in Mark chapter 2, right? They brought the paralytic man through the roof. They busted the roof, and they brought him in. His friends helped him. And, you know, Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Not only did he heal him, he forgived his sins. And then the teachers of the law were thinking, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, if person A, John, wrongs person B, David, right? And I go to John and I say, hey, John, I forgive you. There's something wrong, right? Because... Um, it should be David, person B, who can forgive person A because John has wronged David. But Jesus, he forgives the paralyzed man. And through this act, Jesus is claiming his identity. That all sin is against him because he is God. Jesus is claiming who he is. You see, in John chapter 4, verse 9, Jesus says to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. There are so many references in the scripture that tell us that Jesus is God. We got to go there and find it. We got to read the Bible for ourselves. And I can go on and on. In the Old Testament, God is referred as the shepherd, the good shepherd. What is Jesus referred to as the good shepherd? There's so many hints and clues for us to know that Jesus is God. So we see again that Jesus brings us the final word because he is God. Now for some of us, it can be easier for us to accept this claim because maybe we grew up in the faith. So we kind of automatically, yes, you know, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God. But for some, it can be difficult you know, to accept this claim. And um, if you are having a hard time understanding this claim, I encourage you to keep reading God's word and asking God to open up your heart and ears that you may, that God may reveal himself to you. Now for us, or for those who it's easier to accept this claim, we are not in the clear yet. N.T. Wright says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that fire has become flesh, 
that life with a capital L itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It, it is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it is a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us unable to cope with saying either of these things condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. That is a mouthful. So you can go Google and check this quote out again. It's a deep quote. And this is saying that we cannot put Jesus on the shelf with the other, with anyone else, with the prophets, with the angels, with the wise teachers and wise sages. Jesus is either way above them or he is way below them. God, has God become an appliance in our life? In our Western context, you know, we don't normally face persecution and suffering for our faith in God. We might, but a lot of times that's not happening in the Western context. Many other parts of the world, yes. And maybe we need that. But in our Western context, it's quite the opposite. Our dilemma is our comfortable lifestyles, our consumerism, the overly individualistic lifestyles and lives and our prosperity. They have numbed us, the busyness of our lives. They have numbed us and, and, and we have ignored God's true calling in our lives. And that's a problem. There is no inti intimacy with God when there is no real communication with him on a daily basis. God has become an appliance in our lives. We just use him whenever we are in need, and then we go on living on our own once everything is okay and life gets busy again. We put him back on the shelf. This is putting Jesus on the shelf, just pulling him off the shelf whenever we need him. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us we cannot do that. Either we follow Jesus' claim all the way or we, we, we reject it. There is no middle. Either he's the most important thing in our life or he is not. The writer of Hebrews forces our hand saying that we cannot have it both ways. If you accept Jesus' claim, he must be the master and Lord over our lives. And if he is not, then we choose to live in the shallow world in between. If we want intimacy with the Lord, we need to put him as our most prized priority in our lives. If God is an appliance, then how can our God offend us? How can God disturb us? How can he convict us, especially if we're going the wrong way? As we get older and older, there are less and less people to reprimand us, to disturb us, to put us in our place. But we need that sometimes. Yes, you know, we don't like to be offended or reprimanded. But, you know, in any marriage relationship, there are times when we need to be corrected. And it doesn't feel good when our husband or our wife is kind of nagging us or whatever. And uh, it feels like it feels offensive sometimes, but that can be good for our souls. We need to hear it so that we can change and go the right way. And that's the same thing with God's word. 
If God's an appliance, he's our appliance, he can't offend us. We just turn him off and on whenever we want. He can't disturb us. But that means there's no real relationship there. It's when we go through those contradict, you know, those arguments and those kind of hardships that we grow stronger and closer. It shows how deep our love is, that we accept each other with our flaws. And we can work through these kind of, you know, things that we need to work on. That's when there's true intimacy, when we accept the finalities of one another. It's when we see our true diagnosis, we can realize what that we need to change. You know how it says that Jesus made the universe in verse 2? It says that, you know, through whom also he made the universe. And in verse 3, it says that he sustains all things by his powerful word, right? Which means that Jesus created the universe, the cosmos. He sustains all that's going on by the power of his word. Imagine this penny right here, right? And um, this penny as the size of the sun, the S-U-N sun. The nearest star would be 350 miles away from this penny. And scientists estimate that there are 100 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way, which is one galaxy. Roughly, there are 2 trillion galaxies in our universe that we know of. So our galaxy, the Milky Way, is one little speck of dust in the universe. And if there is a person who holds everything together, every single molecule, atom, star, galaxy, nebula, with the word of his power, if this is the kind of person that, is this the kind of person that you can ask into your life to be your personal assistant, to be your appliance? No. That is why, that, this is what the text is saying. We need to be extreme. Jesus forces us to be extreme. Either we have to put Jesus way above, or we have to put him way below. We have to ask ourselves today, are we extremely humble and loving like him? Are we extremely dedicated and committed to him? You know how when you gaze at something for a very long time, it has a powerful effect on us. Just think about someone you really admire and you really respect how that, how that person handles himself, herself in disagreements, how they're very patient, right, and mature, and they're able to relate with others, think of others first. You, re you really admired that. And just... Just gazing at that person and watching that person makes us want to change. It has a powerful effect on us. That's why I love our art pieces that our worship and art committee makes at our church. If you look at those art pieces, you gaze at them for a long time, and you monitor them, you, you meditate on them, right? It's a picture of what our worship is supposed to look like. It's not some make-believe fairy tale like, oh, this just is something that can just make. No, that's supposed to happen in our lives. Those deep paintings and pictures, go take a look at some point. It's what our worship is supposed to be 
in the deep presence of God when God is able to transform us and make us more into his image. And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us today, to gaze on Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to keep watching him, to keep meditating on Jesus, to keep reading his word and observing who he is. Why? Because Jesus is God. It's, it says he's the exact representation, which means he is the character of God. When we keep gazing on him, keep seeking him in his word, keep praying, keep fix, keeping our eyes fixed on him, this will have a powerful effect on us in our lives. So how do we do that? Well, I'm glad that you asked. I'm almost done. So bear with me. That leads us to our third and final question. How can it change our lives? How it can change our lives. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It says here in the first verse, we must pay the most careful attention. This word is a very strong word. It means that we need to be furiously obsessed to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. That's what it says. Notice the word drift away. It's not like some sudden thing that you just fall away, but it's more of a gradual going away, drifting away. Now, I like the Marvel series. I don't know if we have some Marvel fans in here. I like the Ant-Man. Uh, okay, I got a few nods. Um, and the Ant-Man, right, is able to control ants to help him, you know, defeat the enemy and save the world. And, uh, um, you know, there's a scene in there where um, the original Ant-Man, he's controlling these ants, and the, and the protege asks, how do you get the ants to do that? And the daughter, the daughter of the original Ant-Man, she replies by saying, you have to commit. You have to mean it. No shortcuts, no lies. And then she shows by example by you know, getting the ants to do what she's thinking. It's a very cool scene. Go check it out sometime. But I want to give you one more example, um, which is through my uh, baby daughter, Eliana. Eliana. And um, um, baby Eliana has been, you know, a true blessing. And all our kids are a true blessing to our family, right? And, you know, we learn a lot through our kids, especially as babies, right? God's teaching us, you know, it's not something she does, our kids do or don't do that we love them. We just love them unconditionally. And God showed me, Peter, that's the way I love you. It's not by your performance or how much you get done or how great you are, so forth and so on. I've created you. I love you the way you are. You don't have to do less or more. And that's what Jesus says. The way that you love your kid, Eliana, or your kids in comparison to God, God's love exponentially greater and much more powerful 
that he knows everyone in this universe and he loves them all, just like the way I love Eliana. That's powerful. That's good news. And through our, you know, baby Eliana, um, why I'm sharing this is um, my whole family pays careful attention to her. And probably my wife pays the most careful attention to her. You see, God has given us these capabilities to pay attention, to focus, to invest our energy. He has given us these attributes so that we can invest them in him. It's a problem when we start investing in other things more than him. It's when we invested, you know, and why does my wife pay the most careful attention to our daughter? Simply one reason, because she loves her. That's, it's simply that. Out of our love, out of her love, she loves and takes care of her. And that's the source of our attention, the Hebrew writers is saying. How can we love Jesus that much? It's because he first loved us. It is through Jesus and what he has done for us that we can love him back. God has put those desires into our hearts because we were made for him. We were built for him to pour our affection, our hearts, our souls towards him. And the problem might be the fact that we are not doing that and we might be drifting away. And this is, and what is it that we've heard? Well, it's the gospel story, the salvation story of Jesus. The story that the disciples shared to the world and they died for it. It's the, it says in verse 2, For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? What does this mean? Well, what was the message spoken to the angels that was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment? It was the law, the Ten Commandments. If you disobeyed, right, you will be punished. And keeping the commandments, you know, there was one problem. No one could do it. That's why God, um, that's why the people, the Israelites, rebelled continuously. And they broke God's heart. And they, they received just punishment for their disobedience. And so there was only one way to solve this problem. And that was through Jesus. The one who, gained, who came down from heaven to rescue us from our sin. Jesus died in our place. God knew that we could not earn our salvation. We would fail all the time, like the Israelites. So he decided to write himself into his own story by coming down into humanity as a human in order to rescue us. And so it is no longer by works that we attain this great salvation, but it is by grace through faith. We have been saved, and this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. So you see, there's one non-negotiable thing about us. We are sinners. Some might say, hey, why do I have to adapt? Why do I have to adjust to God? But when we see the gospel story, when we pay careful attention to what we have heard, it's quite the opposite. Jesus adjusted to us. Jesus adapted to, he came down to us. And when we realize what Jesus has done for us, what we do for him is very small in comparison to what he has done for us. 
Almighty God came down to us in human form. And he didn't just dabble his feet in the water. He dove fully in, fully immersed himself into our world and lived the life we were supposed to live and died the death we were supposed to die. Why? Simply because he loves us. And that's how it can change our lives today. That's how we can be furiously obsessed with Jesus. It's because Jesus, was furious, Jesus is furiously obsessed over us first. Jesus' hand was forced in a way. He fully committed himself to us. And it is through Jesus we can be extremely loving, extremely humble, extremely dedicated and committed to him. And it's Jesus who can change our lives. Who can make us more like him? Who can help us love our neighbors and get through this hard life? It's more and more of Jesus. That is the one. Jesus is the one who can realign, reorient, reorder our affections towards him and stop to the world. And so friends, I challenge and encourage all of us today. If Jesus claims to be who he really is, then either we have to fully commit to it or we have to fully reject it. We don't want to be in the middle. We cannot ignore such a great salvation. There are many ways that we can get through this hard life. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, let's listen to the words of the writer of Hebrews. It's when we are extremely committed to him, when we pay the most careful attention to his word, the word of God, that we can live with this true hope in this life. And this is the only life worth living for, the life with Jesus our Lord and Savior, our best friend, our creator and sustainer and redeemer. Amen.